It might be cold out there, but that doesn't mean I don't have camping on my mind. Two opportunities are coming up, and you can join me because I'll be at both of them with a 20% flash sale versus Man Camp. It's a weekend primitive camping experience for guys. It comes this October, and maybe you can't wait that long. That's all right because there's Couples Camp, a camping experience for married couples. That's coming this spring at the end of April. Both camps are in Southeast Ohio, and I can't wait for both of them. They're like a highlight weekend for me or weekends for me. A 20% off flash sale is happening February 19th to March 1st. If you want more information and all the relevant links, go to crossroads.net slash camps. I'll see you out there. Welcome to the Aggressive Life. Uh, we're going to have fun today. I'll tell you why we're going to have fun today. We're going to have fun today because we're talking to a guy who I've got a lot in common with, yet he is way beyond me in terms of aggression. The dude likes motorcycles. The guy actually historically has been a man of the cloth, but he's done things that I've not done. How about names like Coffin Cheaters, Brothers in Arms, Iron Horsemen, Devil's Disciples, Satan's Angels, and The Lost Children. Those are just a handful of the nearly 30 outlaw motorcycle clubs that were circling around the urban hub of my adopted hometown where I live right now, Cincinnati, Ohio, in the late 60s and early 70s. And in sections of town where they lived, the motorcycle clubs They ruled the roost. They owned the streets. They did as they pleased, and most people tried to stay out of their way. That was until a young United Methodist pastor moved to a shrinking church in one of the city's most violent and dangerous areas. In 69, Gene Skip, as we know him by, Skipworth, moved to the north side of Northside United Methodist Church. He naively came in thinking he'd walk the streets of the neighborhood and people would flock to his church, maybe do a little contact work, maybe do some loving on people. Instead, he comes face to face with these motorcycle clubs and he walked home after his first encounter with a black eye and bruised body. What's his aggressive move? Well, while the rest of the world viewed these clubs as menaces, Skip saw them as people in need of love, direction, support, He had a soft spot for these rebels, and he went after them with all he had. How? He put himself into their lives, and he came to earn their respect. His incredible story sounds like a movie. Street fights, hosting motorcycle club meetings in his home, white-haired old ladies sitting beside ex-felons in his church, exiting members of gangs, hiding out in the parsonage. He would visit club members in jail. He did weddings, funerals, and tried to broker peace between these clubs and the cops. To the motorcycle clubs, he was known as Preacher. His aggressive story is going to rattle and inspire us all today. Welcome to the aggressive life, Skip Skipworth, the Preacher. (laughs) Thank you very much for having me. appreciate it. Dude, you still riding these days? No, I gave my bike to my daughter. (laughs) How long ago was that? About a year ago. Oh, man. What kind of bike did you give to her? A Sportster, a 1200 Sportster. How long have you had that bike? About six years. Okay, so this was not the bike that you did your, oh, gosh, what do you call it? Motorcycle gang ministry? That sounds so cliche and so cheesy. When, when, did, you, did you buy a motorcycle to hang with these guys, or did you already have one? No, I, the Board of Evangelism in Nashville of the United Methodist Church Got it for me. 
they heard about my involvement with some of the gangs, and so they said, uh, what can we do to help out? And so I needed a bike, so they got a bike for me. We put, we put the bike in a shop where the guy did specializing with uh, custom building, and he made it fit the gangs because it was straight from the storeroom, and we had to make it look like a, a gang bike. What was the bike stock? It was a Triumph Moneyville. Oh, interesting. Wow. They didn't like anything other than Harleys, but they accepted my bike because it was so beautiful. Well, so long as it's not a Honda or something like that. That's what, that's what really ticks those guys off. I don't judge anybody for any motorcycle they have. It's two wheels, great. Enjoy your life. But in the whole motorcycle club or club wannabe, it's like, it's okay if it's not a Harley, but they don't like bikes that are trying to look like a Harley, but aren't a Harley, you know? That's nice for the sidewalks where you're riding the street. <laughs> Man, oh, I got to be around more people who fund buying me new motorcycles. That's wonderful. You had somebody who had a vision. That, that's unbelievable, man. Well, tell, tell us about the, the first time you interact with them and, and, and they roughed you up a little bit. I was appointed by the bishop to Northside in January of 69. And uh, the first few weeks I was there, I found out that our church and the Presbyterian church down the street hosted these teen dances. So my first job there was to chaperone a teen dance at the Presbyterian church down the street, two blocks down the street. So Bob Wilson, a layman who's in charge of this whole teen association, we walked down to the Presbyterian church for the dance. And he says, usually it's pretty easy unless the brothers in arms are there. If they're there, we got problems. He said, maybe tonight they won't be there. So we walked down to the, the church, turned the corner, and there were all these Harleys parked in front of the church. We knew they were there. So we go in, and, and I'm trying to make small talk to them. They won't talk to me. They're just by the band and setting up the band. And, and, and so about an hour into the dance, things are going fine. Things are going fine. And outside, we hear these big, this big Harley sound, and all these bikers, the gladiators from northern Kentucky, are coming in. And they're at war with the brothers. Everybody there knows what's going to happen. So everybody forms a big circle in the gymnasium of this church. And two guys from the brothers and two guys from the gladiators are squaring off. And I say, no, 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 no. Not in the church. I'm a minister. So I go out there and try to break it up. And they take me on. I'm trying to get everybody outside to the steps. And uh, Bob Wilson, the layman, he's trying to get him outside to the steps. And Bob gets hit, and he goes down, and he's out. Hits his head on the concrete, and the, the blood comes out, and, and his wife shows up. Somebody call his wife. And he comes down, and she comes down and gets him and takes him home. And then the police show up. The brothers in arms take all their bikes and take off. And I'm there with a uh, cut lip, and I'm... I'm Got some bad ribs and, and uh, filthy fills hit, hit me on the side with the uh, boots, and it's pretty bad. So the first aid, two ambulances show up, and they take care of me and a few other people. And and uh, so I walk home, and I'm saying, I want to call a bishop and say, no more. No more inner city church. No more north side. I want to go someplace else. And uh, that was my first encounter with them. That was on a Friday night. So Sunday morning comes. I'm going to preach. I got a black eye. One side of my face is bruised up. And I got some bad ribs. And the people in the church say, no, no, no more. No more dances. 
No more encounters with the brethren arms were through with this stuff. So they had a board meeting Sunday night. What are we going to do about this? Our minister's getting all banged up as a newspaper and all that kind of stuff. The, the board says, no, we're through with this. We're getting out of this. Some little old lady on the board, Jewel Smith, about 65 years old, little frail thing, lives on north side. She says, wait, wait, she says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe this is what God wants us to do, to get involved with this game. And all of a sudden, the conversation goes that way. And I'm kind of glad to hear that because I thought we ought to get involved. But they took a vote. They voted to let Skipworth try it, see what happens. Well, several people left the church. And so the bottom line was we tried to do our best to get involved as a church with these guys. Wow. What, so many questions. Like, first of all, what's a motorcycle club wanting to be at a church dance for high schoolers for? <laughs> that, because the North Side, like you said earlier, the streets belong to them. Nothing took place in Northside unless the brothers were in charge of it or okayed it. And although these guys were 25 to 45 years old, they're still in charge of the teen dances. Fascinating. So you're a pastor. You've got normal pastoral duties. You know, you're going to board members. You're trying to figure out sermons. You're trying to preach and do all the normal things that every pastor does, no matter how big or small or what denomination the church is. Then you're going to take on this this mission now to reach out to gangs, basically, these motorcycle clubs slash gangs. What does that do for your job responsibilities? It's been in the newspaper. The bishop's been, bishop in Ohio has been told about my encounter and, and I got beat up. And so Monday morning, I go to the district superintendent, the office of the Cincinnati District of the Methodist Church. And I go to his office and I say, here's what happened and here's my board. My board says I should get involved. And he said, that's great, Skip. You go right ahead because that's a very important mission. They've been around a long time. And it's good that you're getting the church involved. What he was saying was, if you're stupid enough to do this, you're on your own. Thursday night, Thursday night of that week, the brothers in arms and the henchmen and devil's disciples are meeting at Marie's. Marie's is a, ref, a bar down the street from the church. Just a, down the street from the church. Dirty, dingy, filthy place. That's where these three gangs meet. And Thursday night, they're going to be there. So I get my blue suit on, my collar, and I'm going down to Marie's to get acquainted. Just to get acquainted. So I still got my eyes still swollen shut. And I got two stitches in my lip. And I'm still bruised up from ribs. I go into Marie's and I walk in the first time I've been there. I walk in this big, big long bar on the left, just like gun smoke and the mirrors and all that stuff. And on the right hand side, all these tables, all these derelicts and north side guys. And in the back room is a um, full table and a big room with a jukebox and noise and everything else going on. That's where the gangs are back there. So they got this curtain that you pull apart to go in there. So I pull the curtain apart and I walk in and all of a sudden everybody starts turning toward the door for me. They really, and, and everything's quiet. So I pulls a plug on the jukebox. It's real quiet now. And Butch, the president of the brothers, comes over and says, what the f*** are you doing here? And I said, I just came to get acquainted. Well, Sarge, 
and Filthy Phil come over to my left, and Filthy Phil says, uh, we got rid of you the other night. And I, he said, what are you doing in here? And uh, I said, I just came to get acquainted. And Sarge says, got you five seconds to get your ass out of here. And I said, so I made the mistake. I made a big mistake here. I said to them, what are you afraid of? Hmm. That was a big mistake. I wake up at Christ Hospital. <laughs> I've got my work cut out for me. <laughs> wow. I want to pick that story up from there to hear your evolution. But things are going on in my mind right now are we've heard of hell's angels and stuff, but the, the culture of motorcycle clubs and gangs, it's not around really anymore. I don't, none of us really know anybody who's actually in a motorcycle club. That's not the same as your local Harley owners group associated with the dealership taking rides. You're talking about something totally different. Are there any, when you looked at the guys who were in those gangs back then, were there any common or defining characteristics? I mean, are these white-collar guys, blue-collar guys, people who are hurting financially, people who are just bored? What, what, what's the common thread with these dudes? The, not, the common denominator for all of them was that they, they were nothing before the gangs came along. In high school, they were nothing. They were nobody. But with the colors on of that gang and sitting on a Harley... They are somebody. For instance, I went to Lachlan High School to speak about my work with the gangs. After I'm done speaking, about four or five students come up to me and say, we're trying to find what happened to so-and-so. He joined the Iron Horseman, but we don't understand why or how, because he was so meek and mild. He was a wallflower. He was a nothing. Quiet, gentle person, now he's an iron horseman? Why is that? And so, and the guy they're talking about was a rotten, no good, violent thug. He just changed. But he put those iron horseman colors on and still on a Harley and he became somebody big, special. That's why that was the big thing. They were nobody until they got onto into these gangs, became somebody big then. Yeah, that's the that's the draw for many many guys to the Harley brand. Maybe not so much now, but when I started in it on the in the nineties and stuff, the, the draw to it was it gave you an alter ego, you know. And it's it's not hey, I bought a Harley now I'm going to go do illegal things, but you just you felt like a badass, you know. You you it was basically Halloween. You put all your gear on. You could take on a different persona, and you could be somebody different than you were before. But you're saying for these gangs, it wasn't that kind of innocent thing. It was, was it? I want now. I get to become somebody I always wanted to be, or was it? I have community for the first time. People like me, and I've got to bend to be like them. What what was that like? The response they get from people, for instance. I would pull up at a stop sign, a stop light, and I'm waiting for the light to change. I'm on my Harley, and I had long hair and a beard and a whole bit, and people would pull a cart next to me, and they'd roll the window up and pull a, put, and lock the door. Just, <laughs> I want to say, hey, I'm a Methodist preacher. Don't it's the response people give you that makes your ego blossom and go way out of proportion. Uh, it's, a, it's a subculture. And the identity to this subculture is something I had never heard of before. When I got to Northside, I knew nothing about 
these outlaw motorcycle gangs. But the, they're one percenters. They have a patch on their colors that say one percent. They are one percent of the population. The rest of them, 99 percent of people are jags or stone jags. I was a stone jag. Ministers and cops are stone jags. So 99% of people are jags. One percenters, the iron horsemen, the coffin cheaters, the Satan's angels, those guys are one percenters. They're one percent. They are independent, free. Nobody tells us what to do. That's the bottom line. Nobody tells us what to do. We're going to do what we want to do. That's that subculture. They don't listen to anybody or do anything. They want to do what they want to do. So round one, you get beat up at a church high school dance. <laughs> How about that? That's that's wonderful. Let's 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 get some volunteers to come and serve the church. You get beat up at a high school dance. Round two is you voluntarily walk into a bar where these dudes are meeting in the back room, and now you get put in the hospital. What's round three? Well, round three was going back to the church and saying. Uh, how, how are we going to deal with this? And so we had the, it was time for the Lenten Bible study. Well, by this time, the brothers in arms have come to my house. They've already beaten me up twice, but they come to the house now, the parsonage, right next to the church and say, we are going to meet in your basement. And I said, wait, 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 wait. I, I said, I can't even associate with you guys and you're going to meet in my basement? Yeah. I said, but you didn't ask me. No, we don't ask. We just tell you. So they met in the basement. And so I introduced the Lenten Bible study to them. And they, they said, wait, 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 we're just going to meet here in the basement because the, the cops ran us out of the last place we're meeting. So we're just going to meet here. We're not going to go to Lenten Bible study. And Filthy Phil says, maybe we ought to go to the Lenten Bible study. It might be our way of getting through some of these people in the community more power. So the next Lenten Bible study Wednesday night, everybody's there, but the horse, but the iron, the, the uh, brothers in arms aren't showing up, except filthy. He shows up. And and so he goes through all the motions, he has a meal, the Bible study sitting there, and the next meeting of the iron of the brothers in arms, he says, look, I went to the Lenten Bible study, and you're going to go next time too, talking to the guys. You're all going to go next time. So sure enough, they came, they came. And it got to the point that at the end of the Lenten study, Filthy Phil brought a big sheet cake. And it said, thanks to all the people at Northside Church. And all of a sudden, things are kind of changing a little bit. And so it's getting to be more of a, more of a possibility. People are identifying with these guys. That's fantastic. And, and so what happens then? These guys are just your... Your friend going forward? Are you their? Th- uh, how how do you come to know? Categorize yourself? Are you a friend of theirs? Are you one of them? What, what what's that look like? They judge a guy from the neck down, and they beat me up twice, and they figure I'm going to be lost. They they won't pay attention to me except use my basement. About more well, maybe March April sometime in that that year, uh, I'm down down at Clifton at the UC campus. A lot of gangs gathered there. That was a big spot to go. At that time, the hippies were big time and, the, and all that going on. I'm down there with my 
jeans and my shirt and my bike and all that. I'm with them. And uh, <clears throat> I'm not gotten acquainted yet with the Iron Horsemen, but I am with a few of the gangs. The gladiators are there from Northern Kentucky. And they're there in mass with all the other gangs. And they got a guy named Little Jesus in that, in the gladiators. And so he says for everybody to hear, the, the place is packed with people on the street there. He says, I'm going to see what the preacher's made out of. He pulls a knife. Before that happened, the attorney general's office in Ohio heard about me doing what I'm doing with the gangs. And they were interested. They wanted to make sure that I was going to be okay. So they had an undercover cop and walking the streets down there, getting acquainted. He was known as a drug pusher, a drug dealer, this undercover cop. And so I knew him, I knew of him, and he was he was no good. He was no good scum. Looked like it, acted like it, he was no good. And so I'm in this, down there with some gangs one night, and he motions to me like this. He wants to talk to me in the alley. Okay, yeah, you're right. I'm going to give him the best sermon I ever had. And I start talking to him, and he pulls out this badge. And what? Surprised the heck out of me. He's, he said, I haven't got much time. Here's a story. We got this, we got this uh, weapon for you because we're concerned about your safety. I said, no, no, no guns. No gu- I, I can't, I don't know a gun. You know, it's not a gun. It's not a gun. It's a hose. And he stuffs it with cotton and mace and rubbing alcohol. And he says, now, you take this hose with you. Wherever you go with these guys, take the hose with you. And I said, what what form am I going to do with this thing? He said, when you get in trouble, you hit them with it. Now, there's three things about this hose I got to tell you. Otherwise, you're in bad shape. Uh, three things. First of all, when you hit a guy, don't come down like that. Hit him with a backhand in the face. So across the nose. Gets in their eyes and they can't see. Then you got him. Then you got him. He said, the second thing you got to know about this hose is... Don't forget it. When you go out with these guys, don't forget your hose. He said, the third thing is the most important of all. He said, don't miss. <laughs> and so he hands me this hose. And I got it someplace here. I brought it with me. Yeah, but you have it? This is awesome. I don't know how many listeners are going to make this thing right now. Let's check it out. It's the only thing I've ever had. The only thing I kept with all these guys. Here's the hose. So that's the actual hose itself. That's not a recreation. It's basically a garden hose I'm looking at with duct tape around one end for your handle. That's right. Duct tape. And and to keep it from leaking, he said, now keep it from leaking when you when you put it in your coat. Keep it from leaking. Put baking grease on each of those dots. And they and the hose got very big news from the people. Uh, all the gangs, they would say, has he got his hose with him? But here, little Jesus pulls a knife on me. Everybody's a big circle now. Watching me take on little Jesus. I was scared to death, of course. But he looked like this evil thing in his face. All of a sudden, I got angry. I got angry. And the adrenaline started really hitting me hard. And so I hit him before he hit me, got me. Hit him across the face. And he grabbed his hand like this. and dropped his knife. And I, I went nuts. I lost it. I started pounding him. And a couple of girls from the crowd said, stop hitting him, stop hitting him. 
Well, some black years took him and put him in a car and just took off. But I was so whacked out. I, I, it was my first time. And I was scared to death and I was angry. I was, I was out, out of it. So I got on my bike and went home. That's fantastic. Oh, uh, it was terrible. Well, no, I'll tell you what's fantastic about it, though. It's fantastic about it. And I don't know what your personal opinion on this or what your biblical belief is, but I'm of the opinion when Jesus says, turn the other cheek. I believe he's talking about when someone insults you, not when someone is actually pounding you. He says, if someone hits you on your on your right cheek, turn the left as well. You get hit in your right cheek because someone gives you a backhand with their hand, not because it's an actual violent act. I don't think I don't think God is up for us just allowing someone to pound on us, you know. So I don't have any biblical problem with what you did. Uh, that's that's pretty impressive. I don't know. You might you might feel different. Do you feel badly? Do you feel like you shouldn't have whacked them with that hose? No, I I. I... Otherwise, I'm in cut up. I don't. I'm right. Exactly. Now you look. I'm. I'm looking at you on, on Zoom here right now. At this point in your life, what was your physical stature? Are you tall? Are you short? Are you muscular? Are you a normal guy? What? what? It, it, I'll tell you. I was a power lifter. I felt I was able to take care of myself. But I felt this was the need. The, the church didn't do this stuff. The church stayed away from that kind of thing. Now, Crossroads really has a great outdoor, down the four walls ministry. That's what we need to do at the church. But we don't. We, we want to be comfortable. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's so, uh, this, is called, this podcast is called The Aggressive Life. It's really not a church podcast, but, you know, that's my day job running a church. So it comes up, it comes up. But, yeah, you know, the whole church gig is... Um, I mean, everybody looks the same. Everyone, every church thinks they're unique, but they're not. There's no unique churches. You know, everyone's got their music they think is great music. Everyone has everyone has video now. Everyone has everyone has sermons that are up to date. Everyone's got a, a hip preacher, or at least used to be a hip preacher. Everybody's got student ministry. Everyone's got children. Everyone's got some special thing at Christmas. Everyone, I mean, all those, and, and we have to do those things. And th- th- those are important, fine things, but... I'm most intrigued. Those aren't those aren't aggressive moves. Those are those are incremental improvement moves to increase the effectiveness of those things. But I find that the biggest breakthroughs happen with the aggressive moves. Those are things that happen outside the building. They happen outside of the normal rhythms of ministry. So I'm sitting here. I'm just hyper challenged by you. I'm just thinking, man, I don't I don't know what I would do in that situation. But I'm glad you did it. That that's that's freaking great. Here's the thing, I. When I got beat up the first time, I spent the next couple of days trying to figure out, do I call the bishop and move, or do I get a book by a minister who worked with motorcycle gangs? Do I read that book and get some ideas? I didn't know anything about this. I knew nothing about outlaw motorcycle gangs. Nothing about the inner city church. I was greener in grass. Was was this a normal thing for you up to this point in your life? You 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 saw an opportunity that caused some people to run away, and you choose to chose to step into it. Was this a pattern in your life before this took place? No, this is my second parish. My first parish was a rural church in Northern Ohio. I gone to seminary in Dayton. I graduated from seminary, ordained. I went to a small rural parish in Northern Ohio, and then. The bishop appoints me to an inner city church. Talk about a contrast. And I wouldn't prepare for that. I didn't know anything about it. 
but I'm not talking about motorcycles. I'm putting motorcycles aside there. Have you had a pattern of seeing opportunity and stepping into it and doing things people hadn't done? Yes, yes. Because I, I think it's because my parents are half-breed Indians from Oklahoma. And when we moved to Illinois during the oil boom in the, in the late 30s, uh, we were known as oil field, half-breed oil field trash. And so I kind of identified with uh, the outcasts because we were. And there was that figurative sense about being across the tracks, outcast, you know. So I kind of identified with uh, them. Your story is is so inspiring to me, not, not just about how you push the bounds of what a pastor should do as a part of your normal day job, but also how you became actual friends with these dudes. I mean, there, there was genuine friendships that took place. And am I right that these guys would actually babysit your kids eventually? The babysitter I had was down the street. She's a, a freshman in high school. And so she was regular. Well, two o'clock in the morning, I got a phone call that I got a member of the church in the hospital. So I got to go down there to the hospital. There's three henchmen in the living room watching cartoons. So what do I do? I can't call a babysitter at two o'clock in the morning. So I get those three guys and I say to them, I got to go to the hospital and I got two kids upstairs. You guys have got a babysit. If anything goes wrong, you'll be sent away to prison. You'll never get out. I'll see to that. They said, don't worry, don't worry, preacher, don't worry. So I make the hospital call, I come back, and things were great. They said, Nancy came down the stairs just to check in to see how you're doing. And I sold her to the hospital, and she went back to bed. So things were cool. Today, Nancy and Yale will tell you that their best babysitters were Filthy Phil. Filthy, I just can't get over Filthy Phil. I like giving nicknames. I've never thought of that one. I know some Phil's. They're going to be filthy Phil from now on. That's just unbelievable. <laughs> filthy filthy Phil. Uh, I mean, these names are unbelievable. Satan's disciples, the henchmen, filthy Phil. Gosh. How about Crazy Horse? Crazy Horse was the he was Iron Horseman. He was the, he was the enforcer for the Iron Horseman. He was 6'2", 225. In high school... He played fullback and middle linebacker. He dropped out his senior year. This guy was, for instance, they were at war with the outlaws, a big gang in the United States. And so Crazy Horse steals a bazooka and 25 Iron Horsemen and three cars go to Crawfordsville, Indiana where the outlaws have a big meeting house. And Crazy Horse blows up their meeting house with this bazooka. They get in their cars and the bikes and come back to, to, to Ohio from, from Indiana. They're almost at Harrison, Ohio. And they get caught before they get there by Indiana State Patrolman. He pulls them over, but on the, the last car, but they all stop. All the horsemen stop. All the bikes, the cars, and round the president of the Iron Horseman is first in line, way up in front. 
He gets off his bike and starts walking back to where the cop is. This is a rookie cop, a rookie cop. And he walks up to see the man. He's making a small talk because he's, he's scared. All these bikers come up to him and he says, I just want to tell you the last car had a tail light out. And oh, okay. He just blew up a house, but he sees him with the tail light out. So no problem. And he, so he walks back to his patrol car. No problem. He said, just get it fixed when you get home. Go, no problem. He, he goes back to the car, police car. He looks in the back seat of one of the cars and sees a bazooka. So he goes back to his car and the guys are all back in their bikes, but they're waiting. They know something's going to happen. All of a sudden, from, from the Ohio side, two straight cars are coming. They're coming in the, in the lane going east. They're in the lane coming west. These two, the two police cars with the sirens on, the lights, and they pull up and they've got two more cars coming on the other side. And so the, the, the short story is six of them went to the Terre Haute Federal Prison. The rest of them went home. It was just, just a, it was a, it was crazy horse. I get a phone call about 10 years ago from a, a minister in Tampa, Florida. He says, I just read your book about wear your collar. He says, great. I, he talked about it, you know, and he says, he said, by the way, after, after about 10 minutes of talking on the phone, he says, by the way, whatever happened to crazy horse? And I said, well, I got killed by in a police fight back in 75, 76. He said, no. He said, remember my church. I said, what? <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't believe that. I couldn't believe it. And so, so what he's going to do, he said, I'll tell you what we do. We're going to have a, this is your life crazy horse at the church. And you'll be behind the curtain and I'll be talking about this book, but crazy horse is in the book, written by a minister in Cincinnati. And, and then I'll make a phone call to you. And I can't get a hold of you on the phone call. So you come out of the, that's your cue to come out behind the stage, or behind the curtain. And so, so sure enough, uh, you, you, you got like this all arranged and crazy horses on stage in the church. And I'm behind the curtain and I come out. First time I've seen crazy horse since 73. This is about 10 years ago. And talk about a hug. It was just, it was tears. It was unbelievable. And so after that, he and I went around the Midwest to speak to groups and talk about friendship, talk about ties. Uh, it was, it was great. So would you look at that as your biggest win? Cause that was one of my questions for you is what, what were your biggest wins as you look back on this? That was one. Filthy Phil was another one. I was, I was at Montgomery in Cincinnati at, at Church of the Savior, United Methodist Church on Pfeiffer Road. And he came and spoke on Stewardship Sunday about giving. And it was unbelievable, unbelievable. So those two guys are wins. And then there, and then Sarge, who beat me up at this, <laughs> this one bar, he, he went to Vietnam. And in Vietnam, he wrote me these letters of how the difference I made in his life and all that kind of stuff. And when he got home from Vietnam, I married him and he's, it was, it was great. It was great. So there were though, and then one Christmas, the Devil's Disciples put on a Christmas party. You won't believe. 
I, I talked to them one night at a bar. I said, I really would like to have a Christmas party for the kids at Northside. They're all poor. They need something. They don't have a thing. I like to have a Christmas party. And I, I can't, I don't afford, can't afford it. And so the president of the disciples said to me, we'll take care of it for you. We'll take care of it for you. And I thought, well, was it? He said, he said, we'll bring it, we'll bring Santa Claus and his elves and all the toys those kids can have. We'll bring it. So we had a Christmas party. The president of the devils played Santa Claus. The mamas came as elves. It was, and they dressed up like elves. Those were like girls, brownie scouts. And it was fantastic. And they brought packages, big sacks of, of presents, of toys. But, it, but the kids had the most fantastic Christmas party ever in Northside. That's fantastic. You know, sometimes, <laughs> normally we talk about making the aggressive moves. Normally it's, there's an, a little incentive because if you make do the aggressive thing, you can get more ahead in life. You know, if you're if you're only investing financially in bonds, you're not having a hard time getting ahead financially. But you got to you got to do some more aggressive plays in the market to get ahead financially, right? That's just one little sector. And I think I think uh, sometimes we're I want to make the aggressive move occupationally because I want to advance whatever. But this one, I'm listening to this. I'm going like, uh, it, it isn't like this. This one. Uh, made your life better, this aggressive move just made your life richer and deeper. What do you think is the key for us connecting with somebody different than us? Well, man, caring, caring. You gotta care for people. You gotta care for, that's, that's the bottom line with Jesus. It was all about relationships with Jesus. Caring for other people. We don't do enough of that. We don't think very much anymore. We don't think. We do stuff and we try to make rationale for it. We, we don't think. But caring is the bottom line. That's fantastic. Skip, if someone wants to follow up with you, if they want to be more in tune with what your, uh, your life has been like, your book, just give us a little plug of how people can get more information. Uh, my email address, how about that? Oh, that's great. Uh, Gene Skipworth. 15 at gmail.com. I think you're the first person who's given the personal email. That's awesome. That shows how much you want to connect. And his book is entitled Wear Your Collar. Man, I love when someone takes us into another world. Skip just took us into another world. And I think that this is probably part of our problem here in our country. Everyone's staying inside of their own world staying inside of their own philosophies, inside of their own party, inside of their own, their own clique. I am, I'm pushed by this. This is really, really good. Let's make some aggressive moves. Let's not demonize people who are different than us. Let's stick our neck out. We might actually get our face bloodied, but in the end, it may enrich our lives. So there you have it. Welcome to another episode of The Aggressive Life. And thank you so much, Skip. You've been a blessing. We'll see you next time on The Aggressive Life. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for listening. For all things aggressive living, why don't you head over to bryantome.com. Find my new book, Move, a guide to get up and go forward, as well as articles and much, much more. And no matter where you listen to podcasts, why don't you take a second 
And leave us a rating. Leave us a review. It really, really helps us drive new listeners to the show. We want to help as many people as possible, just like we may have helped you. We want to help others. So why don't you help us out? And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram, at Brian Tome. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.